Friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me in them to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. In the month of December, we're pausing from our series in 1 Timothy, and we're looking at Jesus as he is presented in the Gospels. And last week, we began looking at Jesus' miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and we commented last week that uh, one of the unique things about this miracle is that it's the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. And because it's so unique in that way, I think it's worth slowing down and stopping for a while as we focus and meditate on this text. And so uh, we are in week two of three weeks looking at this particular miracle in a sermon entitled, Come and Enjoy the Banquet. And so it's, at this time, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. A standing is an act of worship. We, what we do physically and the posture that we have mimics the posture of our hearts. That with reverence and great joy, we receive his word. Mark 6, reading verses 30 to 44. Hear now God's word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and other fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Join me in prayer once more. Father in heaven, we ask for your help um, because your word is not simply a piece of literature uh, or human writing. And so we need your Holy Spirit. Uh, to give us illumination, to help us to understand, to open our minds, but more than opening our minds, to soften our hearts, that we'd receive these truths and hear in your words, Lord, your very voice as you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we're presently in that season uh, where we've just passed Thanksgiving, and we're a few weeks away from Christmas. And what often marks this kind of five, six weeks period is a lot of gathering centered around food and drink. We've really entered a season uh, centered around the table, a season of feasting, so to speak. And of course, there's great joy when you gather around with friends and family. When you've come together, there's a delicious spread, you're hungry. Um, a good feast sometimes is a good gift of God. Did you know that in the Bible, there are so many important gospel truths that are captured in the act of feasting? that God uses the table in order to teach us about the blessings he gives us. Some of those rich themes of gospel blessings in the feast, in the banquet, are 
an invitation and inclusion. Provision and abundance. Celebration and joy. I think these themes are powerful because they connect with us in the longings of our hearts. Invitation and inclusion. If you've ever felt the hurt of being skipped over or left out or forgotten, you long to be invited, you long to be included, you long to be seen and known. If you've ever felt the suffering, the pain of want, of living in scarcity, what are you longing for? You're longing for the security of provision, the blessing of abundance. If you've ever known or been in a season of defeat and loss and sadness, your heart longs to have something to celebrate, a reason for joy. Perhaps some of these themes resonate with you all. And for that reason, I think it's appropriate today as we look at the text to focus on the banquet table that God has prepared for us. This morning, here is our gospel truth, that one-sentence summary of the sermon. Jesus invites you to come and enjoy his banquet. It's as simple as that. Jesus invites you to come and enjoy his banquet. So let's jump straight into the passage. The setting of the miracle is simple. There's a large crowd gathered around Jesus. He's taught late into the night, and now it's dinner time. Now, we know that uh, he taught into the night because in verse 34, we're told that they come to Jesus and he begins teaching them. And Jesus is a fantastic teacher. I mean, he can hold people's attention until the very end. And yet, although the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, and so the people are hungry. Now, I think we can all relate to that. Perhaps some of you are relating to that right now. You come to church on a Sunday morning, you rush out of the house because you woke up late, because it's dreary. You didn't really want to go outside. It's groggy. So you didn't get something to eat. And so now you're sitting here in church and you're listening to the sermon and your stomach is making funny noises. And all you're thinking about is, when will this preacher end? You see the Lord's Supper up here. You said baptism, sermon, and the Lord's Supper. And you're wondering what the fellowship food will be. You're wondering what happens to that delicious bread and can I get some of it after? You're left hungry. And so we can totally relate to the crowd. They're hungry. And the disciples, they're perceptive. They see that. And what do they say in verses 35 and 36? This is the desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them to go. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They see the crowd, and they go, okay, there's no way we can feed them. Because how big is the crowd? Well, verse 44 tells us there were 5,000 men present. And all the commentators agree that if you include the women and the children, the number was something closer to 10 or 15,000 people. I mean, this is not a small group. And so the disciples, they think very logically, and so they gave the suggestion, send them out to get their own dinner. There's no way we can provide for them. And you would think Jesus would agree, yeah, there's no way we can provide for them, except he has something else in mind, because he doesn't want to send them away. He wants to provide a feast a food that they'll always remember. He wants to provide a meal that they won't forget. And Jesus wants to do this because he is filled with compassion. Now, that's the setting of the story. And what you have to realize when you read the Bible is sometimes there's the act itself, what Jesus did, and then there's how the gospel author is presenting the story. Now, we said that this story of feeding 5,000 appears in all four gospels, but each gospel writer presents it slightly in a different way. 
You see, Mark goes on to describe the events of this story using details that help us realize what's really going on here is he wants you to know that Jesus is the host of a meal and that you are invited to come to his banquet. That's what he wants you to know. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's kind of incredible to me as I read this story that in a crowd of 10 to 15,000 people, nobody had food with them. I mean, sometimes it's, it's almost unbelievable that a crowd this big, you could only manage to find five loaves of bread and two fish. I mean, sometimes I'm like, maybe that's the miracle. Like, how can you have so many people and so little food? Because I see many of you have brought bags. And if I ask you to produce what snacks you have out in your bags, we will get more than five loaves of bread and two fish. So how in the world is it possible that this many people have come and there's no food? Well, the detail is important because it shows this. Not only are the people hungry, but the people are empty-handed. The people have nothing to bring. The people have nothing to contribute. And that's really important because these are the kinds of people that Jesus invites to his feast. These are the kinds of people that Jesus invites to his banquet. Jesus is looking for those who have nothing to bring. Jesus is looking for the poor. Jesus has come to serve those with nothing in their hands, whose pockets are empty, and whose stomachs are hungry. See, that's the mission of Jesus. That's what he's about. These are the people he calls to himself. The hungry and the needy. Dear friends, if you want to receive the invitation, if you want to come to Christ and feast at his banquet table, you must realize, you must admit and confess that you are hungry and needy and empty-handed. And that requires humility. You see, Hunger requires that you admit, I need what Jesus offers. Humility makes you admit, I need to go to Jesus to get it. And when you realize that you're hungry, and you come before him humble, that's when you begin to see Jesus for who he is, the generous and the gracious host. You see, Jesus doesn't dismiss the crowd. It would have been easier for him to say, yeah, you guys go to the villages in the countryside and get something to eat. But that's not the heart of our Savior. He wants to provide a banquet for them. Now, why do I keep saying banquet? Well, when Jesus gets ready to perform the miracle, listen to what it says in verses 39 to 40. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now, you read this, and you're like, well, what significance is there in that? Jesus is calming everybody down, right? He's organizing them, so distributing the food will be, you know, easier. It will be more efficient. But there's something else going on. Because the Greek word that Mark chooses to use for sit down in verse 39 and sat down in verse 40, that Greek word is translated in other places as to recline or to recline at table. And so, for example, let me read you two passages that use these same verbs. Matthew 8, 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and not sit, but recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Or Luke 17 says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he come, has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table, enjoy the spread, enjoy the feast. The, here's the reason why I'm drawing your attention to this. The crowds weren't just told to sit down and settle down because it'll make things easier. The crowds are invited to recline at the table. 
to receive the banquet that Jesus is preparing. And so the scene isn't like a bunch of elementary school kids sitting on the grass because it's recess or it's gym class and they're getting ready to play kickball. That's not the scene. The crowd are honored guests who are being welcomed to a grand feast. And as we'll see, it's a feast of abundance because of that little detail in verse 43 that at the end of it, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Now, sometimes we wonder, what is the significance of the 12 baskets? Do they have something to do with the tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples? And sometimes I think, you know what? The point is just this feast that Jesus provides, it's a feast of abundance. Why are there 12 baskets? Well, because there are 12 guys and they're holding a basket and they just filled the baskets. The point is the heart of Jesus as the host of the meal is that he not only supplies and provides, but he gives abundantly. This has always been the heart of Jesus. Do you remember the very first miracle that Jesus did in his public ministry? It's John chapter 2. It's at the end of a wedding, the end of a wedding, because they were a couple days long, and the wine runs out. And so somebody asked, his mom asks him, what are you going to do? Can you do something? And he decides to turn water into wine. But what you have to notice is Jesus doesn't survey and see the state of people's intoxication and say, well, you know, I think two bottles will do, or, you know, I think this will. He, he doesn't, his miracle isn't to assess and anticipate the exact and precise measurement and need of the crowd. What does he do? He looks around and he notices that there's six stone water jars Massive water jars. We're told in John 2 that each held about 20 or 30 gallons. And then I went and I did the Google math and I said, how many bottles of wine is that? That's 900 bottles of wine that Jesus made. And John is telling you all these details. Oh, it was six jars. Not only six jars, but there were about 20 to 30 gallons. And then he tells the detail, they filled them to the brim. Why? Because John wants you to know that Jesus is lavish and generous. That when he supplies, he doesn't supply enough. He supplies more than enough. Or think about Jesus as he is presented in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is King David, the famous, the Lord is my shepherd. And the Lord, of course, is Jesus. He's the good shepherd. And what does he do in verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning, Jesus, as the good shepherd, he provides for your every need. He meets every need that you have. But David says, it's not just that Jesus provides but he provides abundantly because he goes on in verse five to say, you prepare a table before me, a banquet before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. The good shepherd is lavish and generous. You see, friends, when you come to Jesus and you respond to his invitation, you're being summoned to a banquet like no other. Jesus not only provides for your every need, he provides for you beyond your wildest imagination. He provides for you until your heart is truly satisfied. See, I love this little detail. There's a verse in this story, verse 42. This is the entire verse. And they all ate and were satisfied. Why is that in there? Because Mark wants us to know that those who feast at the food and table Jesus provides are truly satisfied. I think all of us in here are longing for something. All of us in here are hoping, chasing, pursuing something to give us a joy or peace or meaning or identity or significance. We're all on the chase. And the reality is that unless you're feasting at the banquet of Jesus, you will be dissatisfied. 
really appreciate that part of Peter's testimony that he shared about chasing the dream of the earthly dream of financial independence and pursuing it so hard to receive the worldly riches. But once he attained it, he still felt a hole in his heart. He felt dissatisfied. The reality is that testimony is all of your testimonies. You can swap out the details. You can put in the specifics of your story, but that's all of us. We search, we seek, we even scavenge for things to fill the void in our hearts, the holes in our lives. And so we've tried to feast at the tables of the world. But it will always leave us dissatisfied. But not the banquet table of Jesus. And here's the good news about his table. Everybody is invited. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how you have lived. Jesus welcomes you to the table. He welcomes the least, and he welcomes the last, and he welcomes the lost. And Mark wants us to know this. So he does something that's beautiful. Mark is writing this whole gospel. And in writing the gospel, he's choosing to record stories and place them one after another. And you may have noticed this. If you have a Bible, you can look at it. There's a story right before the feeding of the 5,000. If you have a Bible, you might know, you might see it. The story is of King Herod beheading John the Baptist. Now, what does that have to do with feeding 5,000? Why did Mark intentionally put those next to each other? Well, the clue comes in Mark chapter 6, verse 21. Because this is what we read. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading man of Galilee. Mark puts two stories next to one another. Two stories about two different banquets by two hosts. And he wants you to see and compare and contrast these two. So the first banquet is Herod's banquet. It's an exclusive banquet. It's a meal behind closed doors. It's a private feast. Now, who is invited to Herod's banquet? Notice, nobles, military commanders, the leading men of Israel. This is a reference to the elite in society, the upper class, the somebodies, the people who are already on the inside. You see, in order to be invited to Herod's banquet, you had to qualify. You had to deserve a place. You had to earn your seat at the table. Now compare Herod's banquet to the second banquet, Jesus's banquet, which is inclusive because it's literally a meal out in the field for anybody and all to come. And who's at this meal? The crowds. They're called sheep without a shepherd. There are those who are so pitiable that they elicit Jesus's compassion. Who's at Jesus's banquet? The needy, the poor, the hungry, the empty-handed. And Jesus required nothing of them to receive the food he prepared for them. Which means, friends, this is an invitation, not just to the qualified, not just to the righteous, not just to the cleaned up and have your life together, but to the poor and the mess, the lost, the confused. You see, friends, there is room for you at Jesus' table. There's a seat for you at his banquet. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no whens. And this is where we see a contrast between traditional religion that's created by man and the gospel of Jesus. See, traditional religion has this message. It says you need to qualify to have a place with Jesus. 
You need to be a good person to get into heaven. You need to stay away from sin. You need to get your life together. You need to be clean. You need to be worthy, acceptable, lovable. If you are these things, then you'll be invited. Religion, in essence, says you're invited only because you deserve to be there. But the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the news of God's grace that says, although you are unclean and unworthy and unlovable and unacceptable, Jesus has made room for you at his table. The gospel says you're invited, not because you deserve it, you're invited because Jesus has reserved it. He set the table for you. He put your name on the plate. And the only thing Jesus asks for is this, that when you come to his banquet, that you take off your old, dirty garments of sin and guilt and that you put on instead his robe of righteousness that he freely gives to you. Jesus is not asking you to bring food to the potluck because there's nothing you can contribute. There's nothing you can bring. Jesus requires only one thing, a wardrobe change. And the good news is he supplies you what you need to wear. The robe of his righteousness. See, friends, for those of you who hear Christ's invitation to come, to feast at his table, you're being promised that one day you will feast in the house of Zion in his glorious presence. And if you know that to be true, that says something and it means something for life here and now. It means that all the tables and the meals and the banquets that I'm going to, to try to satisfy myself, it is not an endless pursuit. There is satisfaction, but not in those tables, not in those feasts, but in Christ. For those of you who are living, and it's tough, finances are tight. Everyone else around you is enjoying earthly pleasures and comforts. You don't get to enjoy the rich abundance. One day that will be a long forgotten memory. Because at the banquet table of Christ, your cup will overflow. Some of you right now are sipping tears of sorrow from your cup. And you look over and others are drinking the richest of fares. But one day you will walk into the house of Zion where you will feast and weep no more. Jesus invites you to come to this banquet table. And let me end with like this. Jesus is inviting us to a table that we will receive and eat with him in heaven. Sometimes that seems so distant. Well, it's like, well, what about now? What about my struggles now? What about my heartaches now? which God in his grace has offered you a foretaste of that final meal. And he does it through the Lord's Supper. You see, do you notice this? When Jesus feeds the 5,000, look at how it's described. Mark 6. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Mark is intentionally drawing attention to these details in order to point to another meal. Another meal in Mark 14 Jesus has his last meal with the disciples, and there he's crucified. And in that last meal, the Passover meal, he institutes what's called the Lord's Supper. And actually listen to what Mark does and how he describes it. Mark 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, 
And after blessing it, broke it. And he gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. It's no coincidence that Mark is drawing the parallels. Jesus takes the bread. Jesus blesses the bread. Jesus breaks the bread. Jesus distributes the bread. Why is this significant? Because Jesus' invitation to receive his final heavenly banquet meal is actually captured in part in a glimpse in the Lord's Supper. How many of you have ever RSVP'd, now that everything is through eat bites, you RSVP'd to a party, to a wedding, to a gathering, and you forgot? We're all forgetful people, aren't we? I'll be the first to admit, I often forget the feast of heaven that I will one day enjoy, which is why I spend so much time looking to be satisfied with the food of this world. But once a month, we gather around the Lord's Supper. And it's a reminder, it's God's reminder to us that there is a banquet that's coming your way. Which is why it's so important for us to come and receive. Because when you receive the meal, you not only look back at the cross of Jesus to remember the forgiveness of sins, but you're also looking forward to the banquet that Jesus has prepared for you. You must look both ways, dear friends. For those who are believers, we symbolically come up and we receive of the meal. Why? Because you come up to the supper empty-handed. And you walk away with your hands full. And that is what Jesus will do for us on that final day. And so, dear Christian, as you get ready to partake of the meal, anticipate the meal and then participate in the meal. As we anticipate in the great feast of heaven, and one day we will participate For those of you who do not know Jesus, for those of you who find that you're spiritually empty, you're hungry, you've searched, you've sought, you've scavenged, but you're unsatisfied, would you hear the words and the invitation of Jesus Christ today? Come and enjoy the banquet. Let's pray.